Hey, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. We'll be in verse 1. We'll starting in verse 1 today. As you make your way to Matthew chapter 23, verse 1, uh, I want to thank Pat Evanick for uh, preaching out of the word last week. Thank you, Pat, uh, in Isaiah 56. So God is so good. You know, it's interesting as I was, uh, you know, the Bible is just awesome in that there's nothing new under the sun. And as interesting as Pat brought us through chapter 56 last week, it began by pointing out that uh, the eunuchs and the foreigners were the ones who actually, those who were obedient to God, uh, they were actually the ones who would enter into God's blessing, into his, uh, well, salvation is the picture there. Um, and, and you would expect those people to be on the outside if you were in Israel, right? Whereas the leadership of Israel, you'd expect, oh man, they're a shoe in, Right. Well, no, the, it, it ends in chapter 56 by um, Isaiah prophesying against them. And it's just heavy words. And uh, in Isaiah 56, 9 through 12, I'll just read it. It says, all you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts of the, in the forest, his watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming and lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough, but they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. And what Isaiah was saying of the leadership is they're just horrible leaders, horrible leaders of Israel. They're like blind dogs, unable to be, a, uh, to call an alert when there's beasts of the field attacking, so to speak. Um, they're shepherds of Israel who were so blind by their self-indulgence and their self-greed. They were so self-focused. They didn't hear God and they were leading the sheep into slaughter. And that's exactly what happened. The Assyrians came in and they wiped out uh, the Israelites and they assimilated them into godlessness as they were already involved in their, in the Northern kingdom. Well, 750 years later, you, you, you transport forward around that amount of time and you're in Matthew 23. Same thing is going on. You've got leaders who are spiritually blind and they're leading the people of Israel into rebellion towards God and also into slaughter. 70 AD, the Romans are going to come in in judgment and wipe them out. Same situation. Only this time, it's not a prophet. It's not a messenger that they're ignoring. It's not a messenger that they're going to kill. They're actually going to execute the son of God. And if you, it kind of, you should kind of be reminded of the parables he just spoke about saying, uh, you guys wanted to keep the vineyard for yourself. And so, um, what we have here in Matthew is, is showcasing for us is these various political and religious factions that made up the, uh, leadership within Israel, uh, that they were spiritually blind as their Messiah, their Messiah is standing right in front of them right in front of them. They should know. And as they had rejected and killed God's prophets before, by the end of the week, they will have devised a plan to take their very Messiah and, and, and have him executed at the hands of the pagan Romans. It's just, it's just amazing. And so one after another, as you look at Matthew 21, 22, um, one after another, whether it be the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the scribes or the uh, Herodians, whatever, whoever they were, the elders of Israel, which was a conglomerate of all of them. Um, they just began to attack Jesus publicly there in Jerusalem, one after another, publicly attacking him, publicly coming after him because Jesus was a threat to their rule. They wanted it for themselves. They wanted the praise of the people. They wanted the adoration. They wanted um, all of all that was due God. And so Jesus began to go back and forth with them publicly in Matthew chapter 21 and 22, speaking to them in parables in front of people. And then as they came and started questioning him and trying to trap him in his words, he turned it back on them and they'd be humiliated one after the other. And Jesus gave us a cross section where Matthew gave us a cross section of what Jesus was doing there. And so we left off at the end of Matthew 22 uh, after each of these groups had tried to attack Jesus. And it says there finally in verse 46, and no one was able to answer him a word. 
Nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. We all kind of chuckled last week. In other words, Jesus shut them down. They could not match his wisdom. And he exposed their hypocrisy in front of everybody. And here's the thing. As we pick up in chapter 23, Jesus now takes his direction immediately from this conversation he's having with them. And he starts speaking to the crowds in the midst of all these, the leaders who are there and his disciples who are there right there with them. And this is what Jesus says in chapter 23, verse one. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses's seat. And so do and observe what they tell you to do, but not the works they do for they preach and do not practice. These are fighting words, are they not? So you can see their motivation for killing Jesus this week, right? In scripture, that's what, and Matthew's pointing this out. Jesus holds nothing back. He exposes them publicly as they were attacking him publicly. He says, you're all, you're all hypocrites. And he's going to spend Matthew 23 laying out a cross section of why one of these, well, two of these groups, the scribes and the Pharisees were um, hypocrites. And he says to them, so Jesus turns to the public in front of everybody. He's speaking to the crowds and he's speaking to the disciples and and he's talking about two of these prominent leadership groups, the scribes and the Pharisees. We've seen them before. Again, the scribes being the lawyers. Remember there is no separation of church and state. The law of Moses is the law of the land. The Romans let the Jews kind of do their thing. And so you have the lawyers and then you also have the teachers of the law, which would be the Pharisees, the guys in the local synagogues that would, would be in would, would be the ones uh, telling people what to believe the doctrine of the law of Moses. And Jesus says about them, Hey, they sit on Moses's seat. Well, what does that mean? Well, Moses was the lawgiver of Israel. He is the one. Remember, he went up to the mountain. He got the law of God. He was there 40 days, 40 nights, right? Comes down the mountain. Israel's in there, you know, doing the thing that they do, the idolatry. He breaks the, you know, he gets mad. He throws this covenant down, goes back up, grabs it again, comes back down. He brings the law of, of God to the people. So he's the one who received the law. He's the one who then teaches the law to the people. And he's the one who sits on the seat as a judge over the people. And remember, uh, I think it was, I can't remember where in Exodus there, but uh, basically his father-in-law got upset at Moses because he was so overwhelmed because he was judging all these cases day and night and day and night, day and night. He says, listen, you've got to have other leadership. You got to delegate, delegate what that the fact that he was the judge of the people as well. And what, And so what Jesus is saying publicly about the Pharisees is, listen, these guys sit on that seat of authority within Israel. And remember the, this group is a part of the elders of Israel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the scribes and the Herodians. They're all kind of part of that leadership. Listen, they have the authority of Moses in Israel. They are your leaders. God has appointed them as leaders in Israel. So when they start teaching you the word of God, when they start reading from the scriptures, when they start telling you what God says in the scriptures, obey it, obey it and do it. But here's the thing. Don't do what they're doing because they preach, but they do not practice. So when it came to you know, when it came to observing and obeying with the word of God, remember that the Pharisees were meticulous in this. They were excellent expositors of the scripture and all this type of stuff in many ways. Obviously Jesus is going to point out through this chapter, how they're, they're flawed in a lot of their interpretation, but they would, they were the conservatives of the group who, who cared about actually the, what the original said, as opposed to going strange with it, like the Sadducees who pretend like it didn't really matter. But here's the thing is they were legalists. They not only had the law, but then they started interpreting it to death. They started adding to the law, their own interpretations upon it, which we'll get to. But Jesus says, when they talk about the word, obey the word, but don't follow in their footsteps because what they preach is one thing. It's right. But what they're practicing, it doesn't match up with what they're saying. 
And this is the core issue issue that Jesus is addressing publicly with them in Matthew 23. It's their hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of leadership. Jesus says, listen to the word they teach, obey it, but don't follow these men because they're hypocrites. You know, so often people become disillusioned with the Lord because of those who misrepresent him. How many of you have had that experience or have tried to share the Lord with a relative or a family member or someone? And as you're kind of getting to the issue of what's going on, you find out that they, they don't want to have anything to do with quote unquote religion because of someone who misrepresented God. Have you ever experienced that before? Yeah. There have been people that I've spoken of so many times throughout the years. Um, you know, I mean, either evangelism or counseling or encouraging or just getting to know people. And, and really the reoccurring theme is, is hardness of heart because of someone who misrepresented God, who is an authority in their life, either a parent or a pastor or an elder or someone they really looked up to that was, you know, religious in one way or the other. And, and I've heard so many stories of people who they trusted them and they listened to them and they were um, focused on them. And, and then they find out that they're having affairs they find out that they're stealing from the coffers of the church. They find out that they are living lives of luxury off of the backs of the poor and all this kind of stuff that's going on, you know, and sometimes their message is outright heretical, right? And it's like, you should have known, right? But people who don't know, don't know. Right. Uh, but quite often you find out that there was a, a facade of righteousness, right? There was a, a, a correct teaching that was going on. There was something that was seemingly right, but they did not practice what they were preaching, you know, and it's a tactic of the enemy to dishearten people, um, the disheartened people who have gone through that so that they throw out the truth with the person that rep- rep- misrepresents God. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this, you know, and this is why James, by the way, says, let there not be many teachers among you. And in, in James three, one says, cause you're going to have a stricter judgment. Why? Because usually as leaders fall, it takes people with them. And I of all people understand this. I mean, this is a, this is a heavy thing. You know, when leaders go down, many people go down with them. And this is why godly marriage is no joke. This is why godly leadership is no joke. This is why God is serious about, you know, who are deacons, who are elders and how all that works in the church. And that's why there's a bunch of words like must in those, in those descriptors of character within those things. And, and, and I know that Marcus and I and Fred, we feel the weight of that. Oh, that those must things, you know, it's no joke. And these men were the shepherds of Israel and the people just saw Jesus expose them really publicly and shut them down for their hypocrisy. He says, you're all hypocrites. And he's going to, if you read the rest of this chapter, which we won't get through, we'll get through it next week. He just lays into them. It's hardcore and it cuts me. It should cut all of us. But what Jesus says to his disciples and to the crowds is on the one hand, obey the word that they preach. God is not the problem. God is not the problem. God is not the issue. God is not a liar. God is not the one who's deceived you. God is not the one who has the lie. God is not the issue here in that obey him because he's true regardless of these men's hypocrisy. And he wants the, the sheep to know. He wants them to know, listen, when they are teaching the word of Moses, obey what God says, but do not follow them. Keep obeying God. God's not the problem they preach, but do not practice. And this is the greatest challenge for me. I think personally as a pastor that not only am I teaching the God, the word of God with accuracy, that my, that my life reflects it. And if that's an area of prayer that I need in my life is it's weighty, you know, I mean, it's weighty. The truth is 
is awesome and it cuts and I want to live the life that I preach. And so pray for that in my life more and more and more and more, you know, Um, just as I I hope to pray for you, that you wouldn't just be hearers, but doers. Amen. So let's pray for one another. Amen. Because God's serious about it. Um, And so Jesus in verse three says, they preach, they don't practice. And Jesus begins to give us examples of how that was true. And he's going to lay down like specifics. What do they actually do that proves this out? Well, verse four, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. So when it came to the interpretation of the law of Moses, um, they went way beyond what, what the law of Moses commanded. They went way beyond what God was saying. Now it, God was serious about what his laws were like, right? It's pretty amazing, but they went way beyond and they put a weight upon people that God never intended to put upon them. That's important to know. And all the while they are putting a weight in a standard upon people, they themselves did not hold themselves with that standard that they put on people. Legalism is a killer. And this is why Jesus cried out earlier. Remember Matthew eleven twenty eight? 28. He was in the midst of all this kind of discussion about this kind of stuff. And he says, Matthew 28, 28, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29. He saw the people of Israel under the weight of this teaching and how they were going about this and the legalism and then just every little thing that was on them. And he cried out, he said, come to me, all of you who are heavy, uh, who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Boy, what a contrast. What a contrast. And these men, you know, legalism is burdensome. It's burdensome and it weighs down your soul. Religion does that, right? But here's if, if you kind of fast forward to the new Testament, love fulfills the law and we got to make sure it's not the love of the world. A, a love that is great is, is using God's grace as a means of sin. No, God gave us grace to not sin. Okay. So we've got to just translate that out. No, it's not. Oh, now I'm free to do whatever I want and sin and, you know, and we're in this new covenant with God. Yay. Now that's, that's, that's a lie that gets addressed in Romans as well. But he's saying it's like love fulfills the law. Listen, if you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, if his spirit's in you, you're connected to the vine. He's going to teach you how to love God. And then that's going to translate into love to one another. And when you're loving one another, that's not burdensome. You know, I mean, yeah, you got to crucify your flesh. I guess that's burdensome, but that's not the burden he's talking about. It's not talking about a legalistic burden. He's talking about Listen, love, love does a lot for us. If you love God, you're going to put him first. If you love God, you're going to love one another as you love yourself. You're going to put others first. These men were not talking about yoking people with God. They were talking about yoking people to them. And they were writing on the backs of people. The laws that they made were, were directed so that they were the heroes. They were the ones that everybody was looking at. That's not what a correct interpretation of the law of Moses is. That is not the, the correct interpretation of scripture. Listen, when we get to the end of like the obedience, see Paul, okay, let me flip back here. When Paul goes throughout his letters and he's teaching stuff, he'll teach you who you are in Christ. He's like, this is what God has done for you. This is who you are in him. And because of this relationship and his love for you and how he's changed you. Now, this is how you go live. And then he gets into what you need to do. Just that's his pattern over and over and over when he teaches because of your position. Now, this is how you practice. And if you don't get that position right, your practice is going to be weird. These guys had a legalistic position with the Lord and they put a legalistic burden on the people. And therefore their practice represented that the way they were working at it. And it came out 
in these heavy ways of them tying up heavy burdens, hard to bear, laying on people's shoulders, but they themselves never willing to lift a finger. Another way that Jesus warns the people and disciples not to follow these men examples. Oh, so by the way, don't do that to one another. Okay. That's just practical application. Don't do that. Uh, Verse five, they do their deeds to be seen by others. Ooh, let's skip that verse. Jesus, this is talking about motives. Why do they do what they do? Well, they do it to be seen by others. What does that mean? They want to receive what from others? Praise, adoration, worship, all these types of things. Their motive was the praise of the people. Now, by the way, all good works can't be done in a way where people can't see them. This is why Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7 says, listen, when you pray, Make the standard of your prayer alone and in your closet. That's, that's kind of the main prayer time because no one sees, but you and God and God, what he sees in in quiet will reward you openly. That's faith. In other words, it's between you and the Lord. That's the primary. Well, I'm so spiritual that I won't pray in public. No, that's not what he's saying. There is a time to do deeds in public. There is a time to pray in public and to witness in public and to praise in public. There is a time for that. And we need more of that. We need to do more of that. But I suspect why that doesn't happen is because it's not happening in the quiet place because that's how it works in my heart. Anyone else? So as we're connected to the vine and quiet, then yes, there are opportunities for us to do works in public. And what he's saying is that their, their motive for doing what they're doing is the praise of people. Whereas our motive should be the praise of God, right? Different, different. Our motive should be the glory and praise being directed to God. So that's why we do what we do in such a way that God receives the glory. What did uh, Matthew five sixteen? let your light shine before others. What does that mean? Well, so that they may see your good works. Wait, I thought it was supposed to be private. No, it's actually, there's a public aspect to our faith. Do your works in such a way so that when they see your good works, they may see your good works and they give glory to your fathers who is in heaven. We are not the final destination. We are pointing people to him. We are to live our lives and to do our good works in such a way that when people look at this, they go, wow, look at God, look at the Lord. It's redirected in that way. In other words, our motives should be the glory and praise of God. You know, there's a way that we can be mindful of that and do that. But these men were not concerned with that. And so they did things in such a way that people noticed them. Well, what do you you mean? Verse 5b, look at the second half of verse 5. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. I don't think we have to worry about that. So let's move on. So, so okay, what what the world they talk about? If you go to Israel today, you ever seen the pictures of the the ultra-Orthodox Jews at the wailing wall. They've got little boxes on their forehead and they're wearing prayer shawls, right? You're like, what is going on there? This is what Jesus is talking about. They're phylacteries. It means a box. You put something in and what this is happening. Why, why do they do that? They wore boxes that have, they have scripture in them. They did wear them and they do wear them. They have scripture in them, but actually scripture. And where do they get that from? Well, Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. if you want to go read that, but it says, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart, in your soul and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. And so they literally did what they literally did is they put God's word in a box and put it on their forehead. Right? Listen, before we, before we knock them, physical reminders of spiritual things are not a bad thing. They're not a bad thing. Right? You know? Not a bad thing. I'm married. Praise God. She's right there. If she wasn't here, this lets y'all know that she's somewhere. Right? <laughs> Same thing. Like we have religious things that we, that we have, that we have physical reminders of. 
You know, you might wear jewelry or you remember back in the day, a lot of people were like, what would Jesus do bracelet? Right. And that was just like, it it can be a good reminder. You you know, you wear that. Okay. Yeah. In this circumstance, what would Jesus do? And you're just reminding yourself constantly of something true. Right. And at the same time, it's kind of like, Hey, maybe someone will ask me about that. Right. Or whatever it might be. And you get a chance to witness or whatever. And so there's some good things that physical things could do can for spiritual reminders, but it wasn't about that for them. What they were doing is they were making their boxes bigger (laughs) so that everyone else could see how spiritual they were. You know, this guy had like a verse out of Psalms. Well, this guy had the book of Isaiah on his forehead, you know, (laughs) as a scroll, you know, it was like, Oh yeah, well look how spiritual I am. You know, they got big old boxes on their forehead, you know, instead of a pocket Bible, they had that super thick Jesus Bible from the seventies that they flunked down on their, you know, on their desk at work. So everybody knew how that they're, you know, Hey, everybody, I'm a Christian. This is a holy zone. You know what I mean? And by the way, if you're doing that, cool, keep going. But instead of, you know, giving their offering in in an inconspicuous manner, they'd be clunking the change in the offering pot so everybody could see them. Look how spiritual I am. Instead of coming in when no one can see what anybody's doing, you know, because they have the opportunity to do that because it was them and God, they would do it in such a way, not to where God would be glorified, but to where they would receive the praise of people. They're waiting to do their good works in front of people so that they could be seen and receive the praise. Same thing with the fringes on their prayer shawls. That's out of numbers 15, 38 through 40 numbers, 15, 38 through 40. And, and, and what they were to serve, they had these prayer shawls and they had tassels that went down and those tassels, as they looked down and walked about among those, they were hanging. You've seen the Jews with those on today. They're to be reminders of the commandments that God had given them. So when they look down, there's supposed to be physical reminders of, Hey, the 10 commandments. I remember your law and following it. This was the idea back in the day. Well, they made them super long. Oh, look how spiritual that guy is. He got the super long tassels hanging off of, you know, of, of the prayer shawl. He's got the huge box on his forehead. Man, I want to be like that guy. Why were they doing that? And by the way, these tassels are probably the ones that the woman with the issue of blood reached out and grabbed. The hem of his garment. Why were they doing that? It wasn't as a reminder of the law. It was to remind you of how spiritual they were. So they made them extra long. There's more verse six. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. They position themselves to be seen as important and prominent in the eyes of people and important events. You guys don't have that issue. Obviously no one's in the front row center, which is the best seat. Obviously, I use mouthwash. I try not to spit. What's going on with you guys? The best seats are over there, aren't they? But I know that's a different motive, right? It's about convenience and don't want to be doing if I want to get up and leave. I understand. But for them, it, it, it's not about convenience. It's about drawing attention to themselves drawing attention to themselves. And so they would position themselves at the seat of prominence. When they gather together in the synagogue, they would take the best seat at a table at a banquet. Why? Because it's a seat of honor. I mean, how many of you, like when you're at a wedding, you just like go straight up to where the, um, you know, the wedding party is and you sit with them. Like, well, no, 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 that's reserved for people of honor. Right. You know, it's like, you don't do that. Well, these guys would do that. They would go take those places of prominence. The idea is that they wanted people to see them and they loved being greeted in the marketplaces. Verse uh, seven and being called rabbi by others. They loved it when they were publicly called by their title. Oh, rabbi, how are you doing? I'm, I'm sorry. What was that? Rabbi. Oh yes, yes, yes. 
which means teacher or actually supreme teacher is the idea there in, in the original language, you know, something similar to that. Rabbi had the idea of being a very highly elevated teacher back then. And, and, and here's the thing. They indeed were the teachers of Israel. That's exactly who they were. They were the teachers of Israel, right? But they wanted everybody to know it. They wanted everybody to know it, how special they were. The righteous Reverend Matt Dotson. I love it. We'll do a funeral. People don't know me. They'll pop Reverend Matt Dotson. I'm like, well, it's really the righteous, good Reverend. If you really knew me. <laughs> Christine's over there. She's like, <laughs> she's like thinking of a, a negative of that. I am to be revered. <laughs> That's funny. Cause I'll talk to you. I was like, please just call me Matt. How many of I said that to you? Just call me Matt. You know, just call me Matt. You know, it's like, well, why is that? And, and I understand when you're teaching, when you're teaching your kids respect and honor and all that kind of stuff, you know, I, I don't worry about all that kind of stuff, you know, and, and if it stumbles you, whatever, but look at what Jesus is saying here. They love that stuff. And there can be a pride in the other way around of saying, Oh, don't call me that. I'm just too cool. You know, I'm winning, you know, so the human heart is weird, but where do fallen people want to direct the praise of others to themselves? That's what we do. Where should it really be directed to God? to God. Think about that with your title. Think about that with how you go about your day, where you sit at meetings, where you position yourself, where you place yourself, why you say what you say, when you say it and who you say it in front of. Why do you do all that? Why do I do all that? What am I, what's the end game here? Am I trying to be noticed? Am I trying to extract something from people? Am I trying to position myself? Am I trying to do all of that kind of stuff? I've never done that before. Anyone else? No, 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 no. Is it about your glory or his glory? Is it about my glory or his, his glory? Right now, the disciples are listening to Jesus say this about these guys who are sitting there. They're, they're listening to him. And they're going to be the teachers of the church. They are going to be the position of rabbi within the church. The disciples are right. And so Jesus wants them to understand something about the danger of following in the footsteps of the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse eight, he says, but you, that's what they want to do. They love to be called those things. They love to sit at those seats. They want the praise of people, but you, and you can just fill in our our name in here. Put your name right here. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher and you are all brothers and sisters. Throw that in there. Right? Jesus tells them, don't elevate yourself. Don't exalt yourself above one another in the sense that you give yourselves titles to draw attention to yourself. Why do you think Jesus has to tell them that? What have we noticed about the disciples lately? Who's the greatest? And they argued back and forth. Even the night before Jesus's death, they're arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus has to get down and wash their feet and teach them about greatness. In the kingdom, they're struggling with this. And if they're struggling with it, although we might be more refined, we struggle with it. Anyone else? Jesus tells them, don't elevate yourself above one another. Don't call yourself teacher. There's one teacher. Who is that? Think hard. Jesus says in John 14, 26, 
I'll send the Spirit, and He will teach you all things. Right? And He repeats similarly in John 16, 13. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He will teach you all things. Don't elevate yourself to a position where the, where you receive the praise of men. The praise should be God's. You have one teacher. Make sure you know your place. Who's ultimately the teacher in the church? The spirit. And you are all brothers. You're all brothers and sisters. I'm your brother. I'm just your brother, you know? Yeah, I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. I'm a shepherd and an overseer and all these various titles within the body of Christ. But you know what that title and position and all that stuff means translates into in kingdom language? Servant. I am your servant. I'm to be your servant. And that's why you have to, it's not about the self elevation in the kingdom. It's like Jesus has to explain this. Listen, there's literally one pastor of this church. There's literally one elder. There is one shepherd. There is one teacher of this church. And you know who that is? I pray it is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that we submit to his word, right? His authority, his teaching, his eldership, his leadership. And yes, he does appoint leadership. We're not dismissing um, the structure that he has set out in his church, but it's not how the, how men look at it. It's how God looks at it. Men look at it as a hierarchical structure where, you know, we're at the top of the apex type of thing. No, flip that around. Because what does Jesus say? Let's say in just a second, but I'll, I'll get back to it. Basically, the greatest is the servant. That's the way it works. Go to another one real quickly. Verse nine, and call no man your father on earth. So first one, don't call anybody rabbi and call no man your father on earth for you have one father who is in heaven for the life of me. I do not understand why the Catholic church decided to call their leader Papa or Pope. And they call their, their priest father. Like, hello. Like the context here, by the way, is that you can't call. It's not that you can't call your, your dad father. I mean, the scriptures actually say, honor your father and mother. It's not what he's talking about. Jesus is talking about people elevating themselves to other positions and titles that draws the praise of men towards themselves. That's what he's talking about here. Away from God and to that person, we're to honor our mother and father. We submit to our elders. We, and to government and all that, that isn't about throwing away tiles. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He is, he's set up authority. This isn't about dismissing authority. This is about the pride of the human heart. We tend to praise people, not God. And we tend to desire to draw the praise of people, not God's praise. That's our propensity. Jesus says we have only one teacher, the spirit, and we only have one father, the father in heaven. Well, what do you think the third person here that Jesus is referring to? Verse 10, neither can be called instructor for you have one instructor, the Christ. See the Trinity in there. <laughs> yeah. Instructor means head. It means supreme head, like the leader. That's what the idea is. The idea behind it. Again, the Lord says there's only one leader. There's only one head. It's Christ. Don't call yourself that in to draw praise of people. So you've got the spirit, you've got the father, you've got the Christ. That's our leader. That's our teacher. He is our head. So he's our father. Don't do what these men are doing, exalting themselves. Now, 
If that's what the Pharisees are after, if they are exalting themselves to be praised by men, if they seek the praise of men, what do we seek? What do we want to seek? What do you want to seek in your heart as a, as a believer? We to live lives in such a way that we receive the praise of God, not the praise of men. And we seek the praise of God, not of men. So Jesus tells us how we do that. Now ready? Let's close out here. Verse 11. How do you do that? The greatest among you shall be your servant. There you go. Don't call yourself all these things. Don't seek all those things. Don't exalt yourself. Here's what you do, kids. Amen. Speaking to us. The greatest among you shall be your servant. The greatest among you. Look at each other. Right now. Look at all of us. You guys see each other. This is what God sees in his family says the greatest among you. This is our father speaking to us is going to be the servant. That's how he views greatness. That's how he measures greatness in his kingdom. You want to be great. It's not through self exaltation. It's not through self promotion. It's not through titles. How is it? The way it is done in the kingdom is not self-exaltation, self-promotion. It's through humility, becoming a servant. The greatest among us shall be our servant. Servant here, the word is diakonos, which is where we get the word deacon. Which is strangely, we've made that a title in the church to be aspired to for the sake of what? I don't know. It's actually something you do just like a shepherd is something you do. It's a servant term. You're serving, you're tending, you're feeding, you're shepherding, but we've made pastor shepherd into a title position to be what? We've taken away the servant aspect and we've put the title aspect in front of it. Apostles. It's like, Oh yeah, that does have authority to it, but it means one who's sent by the Lord. Deacon means servant. Oh yes. I'm a deacon in the church. Oh, so you are a chief servant among these people. You are, you're, you're the, you're the help. Well, that's not how I want to look at it. Oh, well then you're in the wrong position. Diakonos, a deacon, one who executes the commands of another. That's greatness in the kingdom. That's greatness in this church. Greatness in God's eyes is not the one who exalts themselves, but rather humbles themselves to the position of a servant. Well, how does that work out in the big picture? Here's what God wants us to know. Verse 12 in closing, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. That's the big picture. These guys lived a life of self exaltation and they will be humbled. They're humbled this moment. Those of you, those me included, if we live a life of self exaltation, God will humble us. I don't know. He's just going to do it. I don't want to be on that end of it. Do you? I want to be the person who sits at the far back of the room and is cleaning tables And God says, Hey, you come here, come sit at my table. Me? Yeah. You, where does God get this mindset from? Why is this to be the way we think as believers? That's not the way the world thinks out there. You go live to put your name on something and make your name great. So people look at you and what, but God does the other. Make yourself obsolete, a servant. So no one knows all that stuff, but he knows your name because he's looking for those. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, flip over their church, just a reminder. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Are you a Christian? 
Have you been born again with his spirit? If you've been born again with his spirit, then the spirit of God is within you. And so verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If he's in you, the way he thinks is in you and have this mind in Christ Jesus. It's yours in Christ Jesus. This is your DNA. This is the way your father thinks. This is the way the son thinks. This is the way the spirit thinks. This is true. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, what's that mind? What's the thought process? How are we supposed to view one another, the world we're living in and how we live? What is that supposed to be like? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held onto, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a, oh, servant. How? Being born in the likeness of men like us. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. I won't teach all through it, but you see, the highest became the greatest servant. He humbled himself. Well, what happens to those that are humbled, that humble themselves? Verse nine, therefore God has highly what? Exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. It brings glory to the Father that the highest son became the lowest servant. And he raised him above every name. My name, your name, any name that ex ever existed in all of history and all, every soul that was ever created, every creature under the sun and seen and unseen will bow before him and declare that he is Lord to the glory of the father. That's his heart. That's his mind. And if we are his kids, we follow in his footsteps. The way up is down. The world tells you that the way up is up. And God says, no, you want to go up. You follow my son. You go down. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't have the mind of Christ, but they had the mind of their father. Look at Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. I'll read it for you. This is the heart of their father, Lucifer. It says, how, have you, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Well, how did he get down? How did he fall? How did he, what was going on there? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And that's what the world's teaching you. You must ascend. That's what the, where do you think that doctrine is coming from? The one who rules the world this guy verse 15, but you are brought down to shield to hell to the far reaches of the pit. Lucifer and his pride sought to ascend and God cast him down. He, he cast him down. He will be cast into the lake of fire. Eventually but the Pharisees did not humble themselves. They exalted themselves and Jesus is going to turn and then give seven woes, seven like, Oh man, this is going to be horrible on you guys. Seven woes to them, which we're going to get into next week. I'll read through them, but next week, but he says here, verse 13, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Yikes. You think those are, how would you like to be on the receiving end of that? 
He just gives a blast him with a woe. He's like, judgment is coming upon you. You hypocrite. You are shutting the kingdom of God on all these people's faces. And he goes and tells everybody why I would encourage you to read this. And as you read it, do what a hypocrite would never do. Say, Lord, where am I in this? Show me if there be any wicked way in me, cleanse me. I have a propensity like all these guys for this stuff. Help me cleanse me, save me from myself. Only you can do it. Let the spirit speak to you. Amen. Yeah. So may we follow in the footsteps of Jesus and choose to be humble servants. We'll pray and John will sing uh, just a praise to the Lord. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for this hard word, Lord. That's so good. And we know that it seems heavy in the front, but Lord, once we call out to you and call it like it is, you cleanse us and we have that light, easy burden. So Lord, cleanse the hypocrisy from, from my heart, from our hearts. Lord, forgive us lest we point the finger at one another before we examine ourselves, Lord. And we pray that you'd help us take the plank out of our own eye as a church, Lord, and be clean and clear, Lord, so that we can help one another, Lord, in our walks with you. Lord, let love Love for you, love for one another, be our motive. God, may we never take the place of praise and honor and exaltation purposefully. Just take it away from you. Thank you that you've put us among brothers and sisters, that we share that beautiful new birth in your kingdom. And Lord, sit on the rightful place as our father, as our teacher, as our instructor. And may we hear from you and may we love you the way that you deserve to be loved. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.